to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to try to help somebody today. Romans chapter 4, entitled this message, There is Hope. There is hope. Thank you so very much. And y'all look good today. If anybody hasn't told you, y'all look really, really good today. I would give you that lie again. I told you where they did a survey and y'all were the best looking congregation, but they didn't do that. But I think you're the best looking congregation. Church where all the men are handsome and all the women are good looking and all the children are well behaved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Anyway, okay. Romans chapter four. Now what I want to do I want to read verse 13, and then I want to skip to verse 16 through 21. So it's a little bit here, but we're going to read this. And I have you stand because in our society, we are dumbing down and losing respect for everything. But we're going to learn respect for the Word of God. So that's why we do this. It's a good thing. This has gone on for millennia that you stand in respect for the Word. You can read about this in Ezra where they stand in respect for the Word of God. So here's what it says. Paul is writing about Abraham. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. And would you just notice this? God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed. So that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Amen. You can be seated this morning. All right, so I don't have any catchy stories, anecdotes. I just want to kind of jump in the middle of the word right here. Can we do that? Can we just go at it? All right, so here we go. When Abraham was 75 years old, God appeared to him and made a covenant with him, promising Abraham that he would have a son in his old age and eventually be the father of many nations. 75 years old. Now, let me do something. How many of you in this room today are at least 75 or older? Will you raise your hand? Let me see your hand. All of you who are 75 or older. All right, so thank you. You can put your hands down. We've got some folks in here who can identify with this story with Abraham. All right, what did Abraham do? The story goes that Abraham chose to believe God. He chose to believe the promise that God made to him, and for the next 25 years, that's right, 25 years, he waited expectantly for that promise to come to pass. What did he do? He walked in faith and he lived in hope day after day after day for 25 years. And at the ripe old age of 100, 
God fulfilled his promise. And Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. And the promise came to pass. Now, I'm going to be a good preacher here and preach this text correctly. When Paul writes about Abraham here in Romans 4, his primary emphasis or thrust is that salvation is not by works, but it is by faith alone. That's why he's referring to this story. There is a passage, Genesis 15, 6, that is probably one of the most important passages in the Bible. It reads like this, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was credited to his account. It was imputed to his account. In other words, let me see if I can get you to understand this. Abraham, when given the promise by God, did more than just trust God for a son in his old age. He went further. He trusted God to be his God solely and completely. He trusted Jehovah to be his Savior, to be his Lord, to be his everything. You have to remember, Abraham was a pagan worshiper called out of Ur of Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. He didn't know who Jehovah was, but God revealed himself to him, and Abraham chose to believe in him, and not just for the promise, but to believe that he was the only God, the true God, the living God, and to be his Savior. And when he did that, his faith and confidence resulted in salvation. He was made a righteous man, and the righteousness of God was credited to his account. And what Paul is trying to say is that was in the Old Testament, but it's still true in the New Testament. And it's really been true from the beginning of creation all the way to Adam and Eve. Here's how it works. God's plan has been that if you're going to get right with him, you have to confess your sins and you have to believe in the atoning work of his son and accept him as your Lord and Savior and you'll be saved. Well, you say, oh, no, wait a minute. We don't read that here in the story of Abraham. Well, let me just help you understand this. Jesus, Jesus kind of split time in half, right? B.C., A.D., all right? Everybody from B.C. back to Abraham and all the way to Adam had to look forward to the cross. See, there were plenty of, plenty of things that were prophesied. They, had, they didn't know everything. They didn't know it was going to be Jesus like we know Jesus, but they knew a Messiah was coming. They knew a suffering servant was coming. We knew there was, they said there's going to be one wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities, who's going to take our punishment for us and by his stripes we're going to be healed. He's coming. And then all of us A.D. on this side, we look back to the cross. See, they, he, they look forward, we look back. So Abraham was looking forward, we look back. It's always been that way. That's why Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how you're always saved. Adam was saved that way, Eve was saved that way, their son Seth was saved that way, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him, Enoch was saved that way, Noah was saved that way, they put their faith in God and just received the free gift of salvation. For by grace you're saved through faith and not not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, you don't earn it, you don't work for it, it's God's gift, not of works, Paul said, lest anyone should boast. So sinners are still saved by accepting the gracious and free gift of salvation and believing in the power and the effectiveness of Jesus' death on the cross. And the toughest thing we sometimes deal with is, but what, we'll say, well, what do I have to do? Don't I have to do something to be saved? No. I know that's frustrating, but that's the whole point. You don't have to do anything. It's already been done. 
you just put your faith and trust in, the, in what Jesus has already done, his work on the Calvary, at Calvary on the cross when he, when he died as a substitute in your place. Now that's the primary meaning of this text and what Paul's trying to say. And that's pretty good to preach because that's the gospel. And everybody said amen to that. Amen to the gospel. Hallelujah. But there is a secondary meaning that I want to focus on today. And I feel like the Lord wants me to focus on. And, and let me just say it to you like this. Paul, in the story of Abraham, is also showing us how to appropriate and experience the promises of God that we receive, promises given to us in his word by walking in faith and walking in hope. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. Just take this story and break it down again. Here's point number one. God promised Abraham a son in his old age. God gave Abraham a promise. Now let me tell you something that ought to get you folks a little fired up. Here's what I understand when I read the Bible, particularly the New Testament. I find this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Peter declares that you and I, who have been born again, have been given exceedingly great and precious promises from the Lord. Now isn't that good? You've got promises from God. It might not be a son in your old age, but you've got, you say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I just made a list. You have been promised help in the time of trouble. That's a good one, isn't it? When you're sick, you have been promised healing. When you're bound up by something, you have been promised deliverance. When you are threatened, you have been promised divine protection. You have been promised the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He's the promise of the Father to equip you with the power of God to do service and ministry. You and I have been promised the ever-abiding presence of God's Spirit. See, you didn't come to church to meet with Jesus. You brought Jesus with you. And when we lock up these doors and you head out of here, Jesus doesn't sit here and wait on us for a week. He goes out the door with you. He gets in the car with you. And wherever you go next, we have been promised his everbiding presence. We have been promised that God will hear our prayers and answer our prayers. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will knock and the door will be. Those are promises. And so we've got these wonderful promises that we need to know and we need to claim. Now, there is a verse in, in the Bible that you need to get a hold of. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Here's how it reads. For all the promises of God, did you get that? All the promises of God are uh, uh, in Jesus are yes and in Jesus, amen, to the glory of God through us. Yes and everybody say yes and amen. There's a reason why I had you repeat that because I want you to grab those two words. Here's, here's something to get excited about. Jesus, when it comes to the promises of God, Jesus is the fulfiller of every promise and he's also the fulfillment of every promise. So if he fulfills it for me and he is all, he's the fulfillment of it, if I get Jesus then it's gonna come to pass, here's the point, it's a guaranteed thing. The promises are guaranteed. 
They're going to happen. That's why it's not yes to some and no to others. But these promises of God are yes to everybody. And that's why Paul said the promises of God are yes and amen. So when if God's saying yes, this promise is for you, then you need to say, yes, Lord, I want this promise for me. We need to start saying yes to these things that God has promised us. But there's also amen. Now, we all church, church folk here. And hopefully when you finish your prayer, you say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. That's right, that's what we say, amen. But do you really know what you're saying when you say amen? Is that just some kind of ritual, ritualistic word we use, religious word to finish the prayer? Is that just something we're supposed to do? No, 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 no. That's part of the prayer. Amen means so be it. Let it happen. Make it so, Lord. So when you have a promise and you claim the promise and you pray over the promise and you say, Lord, I'm claiming the promise and I'm asking for it in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. So be it, Lord. Let it happen, Jesus. Make this thing happen in my life. Now that ought to change your prayer life right there. Because you're not just closing out the prayer, but you're leaving an open-ended statement that said, Lord, now get to work. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not being derogatory towards God. But because you say, God, you made this promise, and I know you said you would work in my life. So what I'm saying is, Lord, I'm believing. So go ahead and get to work because I'm believing in you. See what I'm saying? Okay. So that's a powerful promise we need to get a hold. So you should say, yes, so be it, when you read a promise and claim it for your life. Now listen, Satan... The enemy of our souls always attacks the work of God in you. And I'm sure he came against Abraham. I bet he showed up to Abraham after God gave him the promise and said, Abe, are you crazy? Having a son in your old age is a biological impossibility. That's just what the devil does to us. He'll come against you when you claim a promise of God and he'll attempt to get you to doubt the validity of the promise. Is that not what he did with Eve in the garden? Right? Did God really say blank? Remember? Of course, the blank was that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely. Did, come on, does that, that was a promise. That was a promise. It wasn't a good promise, was it? But you eat the tree, you're going to die. That's a promise. Ah, come on, did God really say that? That's how the devil works. Okay, and, and he'll come to you. You'll try to claim a promise for healing or something or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever. And the devil will say, come on, this can't happen. All the facts say otherwise. The, the report that you got from the doctor, the report you got from the attorney, the report you got from the banker, the report you got uh, from, from, from your analyst, this job thing, this whole, you're going to start a job, you're going to be an entrepreneur, the, they came back and told you it's not going to work. It, it, this, it's a bad report. Aren't you seeing all this? See, that's how the devil works. Let me just tell you how to deal with that. Back in the day, uh, and I'm pretty sure this was coming out of the black church, there was a song they used to sing that kind of went like this. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? And we shall believe the report of the Lord. Let me tell you, that's what you got to do. You gotta, are you going to listen to the devil's report? Who is a liar? 
Are you going to say, devil, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to listen to the report of the Lord. And whatever God says is greater than the facts. Whatever God says is greater than the data. The word of the Lord overcomes your facts. The word of the Lord is greater than your devil than your data. So, devil, you need to shut up and get out of my life, Jack, because I'm going to claim the promise of God and stick with it. Sometimes you need to tell the devil to shut up. Jesus would tell demons, put a muzzle on it. So if you want to tell the devil to put a muzzle on it, go ahead. So that's the first thing. You just got to believe the report. You got to claim the promise. You got to get past that. That's the first thing. Claim the promise. Say, all right, I'm going to trust God for this. Now here's the second thing that happened. So Abraham did that. But, and, 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 and here's what he did. He believed and he trusted God to give him that son. So now there's a faith element here. Faith is necessary to receive the promises of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe God is going to do what he promised. Otherwise it will never happen. It's not going to happen. Um, I was reading in my own personal Bible devotions this week. I'm going through Matthew, reading the New Testament through this year. And uh, Matthew 13, I read the story where Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. And he went to his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, he goes in to preach. And, and he wants to minister to the sick. And he wants to cast out the devils. And he wants to do what God does, love people and liberate people. And instead, the people looked at him and they said, who are you? I mean, you I mean, we know who you are. Who's this person you want us to think you are? You're the son of Joseph. You're a carpenter. Okay, you built tables that are in our house. You're not a rabbi. You're not a prophet. You're definitely not the son of God. We know you. Your brothers live here. Your two sisters or however many sisters he had because Jesus had sisters, half sisters. Your sisters live here. You, 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 I mean, you, we, we don't believe in you. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And they had unbelief. And the Bible says that he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And Jesus told him, he said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own household. Let me just teach you something here. It, I can go off and preach somewhere, anywhere else, and I am viewed by that congregation as the guest speaker and a mighty man of God, and they'll, they'll listen to everything I say, and I can pray for them, and they, man, they'll have faith. But let me tell you what, you have to be careful. You have to be careful because you see me every Sunday. Okay, and some of you go out to eat with me, and some of you are closer than others, and, and here's what happens. They couldn't see Jesus' divinity because they couldn't get past his flesh. Sometimes that happens with preachers. Uh, the people that have to fight it the worst would be my wife and my boys because they're my family, and they can. And I'm just, I'm just Chris and dad to them, and, and they're going to have to push through sometimes. Remember, that may be true, but he's also the called, anointed prophet of God and man of God. You see what I'm saying? We have to deal with it on a, on a spiritual level, on a human level here just think about what it is with God here's the thing you have to say God you're not a man you're not limited you're unlimited I'm finite but you're infinite I don't have all power you have all power you're God and God I believe that you can do anything you said you can do because I can see past all the other you are God you're a divine being see what I'm saying we have to grab a hold of the divinity of God 
They couldn't get past that. So he said, I can't do anything for you. And you have to be strong in your faith because Satan will work hard. He will work hard to get you to doubt God's ability. So he'll attack your faith. If he can't get you to doubt the validity of the promise, then he'll go after your faith, see? Y'all see that? So then he goes after your faith. And often he lies to you in order to convince you that you have to earn God's blessings or that you don't deserve God's blessings. But victory over the devil is guaranteed if you simply keep trusting God. I mean, he does. He'll come and he'll say, all right, so you're going to claim this promise from God. Well, the only way you're going to get it is you better go to church every Sunday. You better read your Bible every day. You better pray every day. You better do all the right things because if you don't, you're disqualified. That's what he tells you. Or he'll say, what are you doing? You went to church Sunday and Pastor Chris preached that message on there as a hope and claiming the promise. You've only been saved three months. You don't get to claim the promises. You've got to be in the church a long time. Who do you think you are? See? Or who do you think you are? You are a heathen. Okay, so you're saved. That's what the devil's. All right, so you're saved. Fine. I know how you lived because you used to serve me. You think you're going to ask God to give you something the way you lived? See, that's how you work. Isn't it? Y'all know. Y'all know the stuff you get in your head you have to fight. You don't deserve it or you got to work for it. I came here today to tell you the devil is a liar. Don't listen to him. You don't, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything God gets. Go ahead and tell the devil. You're right. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. But you know what? I don't have to deserve it. That's not how it works, devil. And you know that. It is by grace that I'm saved through faith. Grace. Everything I got from the God, devil, is by grace. He just loves me and gives it to me. I don't, I don't have to prove one thing to him, devil. I don't have to prove one thing to him. He just loves me and does it for me. And you're jealous? Back off, Jack. See what I'm saying? That's what you got to tell the devil. Just call him Jack. The devil will fight you. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith means you stop trying to do something by your efforts and you trust God to do it for you. There comes a point when you just say, you have to say, I'm done. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I don't have anything else. There's nothing left for me to do, God. If this happens, you're going to have to do it. If this comes to pass, it is going to have to be a miracle because a miracle by definition means it has to be divinely done. God, I need a miracle. And by the way, God likes it when you get down to nothing. That's his favorite time in your life. So you have to be strong in your faith, y'all. Verse 19 says, Abraham was not weak in his faith. He didn't focus on his old body. He didn't focus on Sarah's incapacity to bear a child. He focused on God and on what God could do. That's where you got to keep your focus. Verse 17 says he placed his faith in a God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Can I stay right here for a little bit? This is one of my favorite places in the Bible. Abraham said, I'm going to trust a God with creative power and resurrection power. Y'all see that? He can speak things into existence that are not. They're not there, but boom, there they are. And then he can give life to the dead. So let me show you two things. This is, I, I can't wait to get to this point. So when you're claiming the promises of God, you're trying to walk in faith. How can you walk in that faith and keep it all the way until it comes to pass? You trust in the 
you trust in the creative power of God and you trust in the restorative power of God. Y'all see this? All right, let me, let me, let me just preach it to you. So he, let me just, I'm going to go to my notes. If you have a void in your life and you need God to fill it, there's nothing there. An empty checking account. No job. No boyfriend or girlfriend. No husband or wife. Y'all with me? No kids. We can't have kids. We keep trying, but nothing happens. Fill in the blank. When you get to the point of nothing, and you are saying, what else can I do? That's when you get out of the way and let God step in, and God says, oh, I specialize in nothing. Nothing is my loom. Nothing is my environment. Nothing is my contact. Go to Genesis chapter 1. If there was a Genesis, you know, you got Genesis 1, 1. If you could have a Genesis 1 minus 1. Genesis 1 minus 1. You know what he would say? Be the shortest verse, one of the shortest verses about. There was nothing. In theology, we use a Latin term that God created everything ex nihilo. Out of nothing. There was Nothing. And God stepped in, and God, and the verse 1 says, and God created the creative power, and God created the heavens and the earth. God, cre- God spoke, and there was. Let me tell you something. I wish somebody would get a hold of this today. If you have nothing, and you can't figure out how to fill it into something, and you've, you've exhausted every resource, let me tell you, if you'll just trust God and claim the promises, God will step into your nothing void, and he will speak, and things that you could not make happen, and everybody said would never happen, God will cause it to happen, resources will show up, checks will come in the mail, your womb will suddenly get pregnant, your children will come, listen, anything you need, God will send you a godly husband, a godly wife for you to marry. Are you understanding me today? We've got to start trusting God that even though it looks like there's nothing there, when God gets through, he can make something happen in our life. I'm preaching right now. And then if you've lost something, my kids have backslid. I've lost my kids. Or we had a big fight. I've lost my kids. Or back before I got saved, man, I, I told my kids, I didn't want to talk to them again. I've lost my kids. I've lost my health. Fill in the blank. And you think, how am I going to get it back? I don't know how to get it back. I don't have the power, the ability. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the connections. I can't pick up the phone and call anybody. Every day of my life, I'm just living with the reality that I've lost something and I can't get it back. Lost my joy. Lost my spiritual depth. I've lost my shout. I've lost my victory. Lost my faith. (laughs) Well, then you just call on Jesus. And the God who could take a corpse that lost its spirit And breathe life into it. And what was lost comes back in the body. And life comes back. And there's the restoration of life. If he can do that in a body, guess what he can do in your life? 
in whatever you've lost. It is the creative and the restorative or resurrection power of Jesus that comes into your situation. That's how and why you can claim the promises and grab a hold of them tightly and not let go and know that they're going to come to pass because God is able. So he had a promise and he believed it. Got a promise, believed it. Believed it for 25 years. But here's the rest of the story, and this is what I got to preach. And then he hoped against hope. Now I'm going to preach fast because we need to get in the altars. So what did it mean that he hoped against contrary to hope, Paul said? Here's the short version. Human hope or expectancy is usually wishful thinking, an optimistic positive outlook on something, but with no real basis for the fulfillment of it. It's just empty wishful thinking. Like some of you have just, you're wishing that you'll win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Okay, you're just wishing. You're just, you hope that one day a long lost dead uncle who's a multimillionaire will leave everything to you. I do too. Because I'm going to take you out to lunch and you're going to pay off this building and property. You're going to write a check. I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. I mean, Chris. It's wishful thinking. It's, it's, there's really, and, and even sometimes, you'll say, well, Pastor, that's not always true. Some, sometimes, you know, people tell you stuff, they're going to do stuff. Well, they write, they do. And so sometimes it's optimistic thinking that is based on maybe some, but you ever had somebody tell you something and they, then they didn't come through? We all have. You've been disappointed? Here's the difference between that hope, human hope, and godly hope. Godly hope is an expectancy and waiting on the Lord that's based on the promise and on the God's ability to fulfill the promise. So I'm not wishing and hoping it's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. I'm just waiting on it. How come you keep praying about that? Oh, it's coming. See, that's what you're supposed to say. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, but you've been praying about this for two months. That's all right. That's all right. God doesn't matter. God, God's eternal. He didn't have a clock anyway. He made time for us, but he has no time. So whenever he thinks it's ready, I'm just waiting on it. I'm waiting on it. He's See, that's our hope. That's the kind of hope we exercise. That's the hope you need, okay? And if the devil cannot get you to doubt the promise, and if he cannot get you to compromise your faith, y'all better hear me, he will go after your hope. He'll try to get you to stop waiting. And he did this with Abraham. If I did the math right, Abraham was 75. 25 years later, he had a child at 100. Ishmael was 13 when, when Isaac was circumcised in the celebration. That meant there was a year for Hagar to be pregnant, so 14, so 11 years. 11 years. You do my math? I'm a numbers guy. So 11 years went by that Abraham walked in hope, walked in hope, walked in hope. And then one day, Sarah lost her hope. Husbands, wives, that's how, why you better be careful what you say to your spouse. If they're claiming a promise, don't you be the one to drag them down. 
Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor. Ain't nobody going to say amen to you, but just, just preach right there. Okay? And so Sarah got tired of waiting. Her faith waned and her hope died. And she said, I'm tired of this. I don't believe God's going to make this happen. So she took a cultural custom and said, I'm going to give you my, my servant, Hagar, as your concubine, which is your second wife. She'll be, she, she'll be the wife number two, but she's below me. And you can have a child through her, and then whatever child she has, we'll adopt it, and that'll be our son. And Abraham said, okay. T.D. Jakes, I heard T.D. Jakes preach on this one time, and he said, I cannot fathom that. He said, I cannot fathom the mind of a woman who would say that you can go get with another woman and have her as your wife and, and get with her, and that'll be all right. He said, I can't, I can't either. Leah would shoot her. <laughs> Leah would shoot that woman. That ain't happening, y'all. Come on, all the wives said, that's what I thought. Okay, but a little something, something going on back then. And so Abraham took, well, Hagar got pregnant. He, they had a boy named Ishmael, father of the modern-day Arabs, Ishmael. And they thought that they had made it work. But you read the Bible, okay, that's 11 years. Baby's born from that point on. For 14 years, Abraham was out of the will of God and didn't get one word from the Lord. 14 years of dryness. See, when you try to take matters into your own hands, you will mess it up more than you realize. And finally, he repented and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm going back to believing again. And when he did, God gave him the son, and the promise came to pass. Human expectancy will fail you because it cannot go the distance. Human expectancy is a sprinter. Y'all ever see these cars with 23 point, what's it got on a 23 point two? What's a marathon? 23 point, 26 point two, what is it? 26 point two. You ever see people with that and then they get out of the car? I'm like, you ain't run no 26 miles. You can't run 26 feet. Much less, so you're going to be winded by 13. People get out of the car. I'm like, come on. Got their 13.1 on the back of their car. About the most 13 feet you do is from the couch to the refrigerator. That's about as about, about 13 feet you got. 13 miles. Our, our hope is a sprinter. Listen to me. The hope you have in God is a marathon runner. And it says, I may not know how, and I may not know when, but he's going to do it. And it says, every day, my miracle's coming. My healing's coming. My deliverance is coming. My victory's coming. I'm, my shout's coming. My breakthrough's coming. My promise is coming. See, it just hangs on until the promise comes to pass. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.